Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the time and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Have you uh, ever noticed that a lot can change in a day? A lot can change in a day, can it? Sitting here worshiping and I'm noticing uh, somebody who is one day simply dating and the very next day they get this big rock on their hand and they're engaged. So yeah, excited for Jamie and Ashton. Congratulations, you two. You're now a uh, fiance, it's a big deal. A lot can change in a day. Great things can happen in a day, uh, but a lot of bad things can happen in just one day, because a lot can change in a day. One day, maybe you're walking in the sunshine of a Colorado summer day, and the next day, you're laying on a table getting a biopsy underneath fluorescent lights. A lot can change in a day, can't it? A lot can change today. Maybe one day you're eating lunch at your desk at work and the next day you are cleaning up that desk because the company is downsizing. A lot can change in a day. Have you noticed that? Personally, I noticed that this, uh, earlier this week. We were camping with my family and one day we were having a wonderful time camping as a family and the next day we're at the ER because my daughter Penny riding her bike had almost gotten crushed by a, a car that was backing up. Terrifying. And it makes you think she's okay, by God's grace, she's okay. Makes you think though, as you're sitting at the ER, a lot can change in just a day, can it? Just one day. The Bible actually talks about a day that's coming where there's not gonna just be a change for me or just a couple people, but for the whole universe. And it's actually a day that humanity is going to face its greatest problem. This day's coming. It's its greatest problem. Now think about that for a minute. What's humanity's greatest problem? If I walked around an old town with a microphone and on the street asked a few people, interviews. What's humanity's greatest problem? We might hear something like, well, cancer. Cancer is humanity's greatest problem. If we could just beat cancer, 
find the cure, wouldn't that be great? Or maybe world hunger. Maybe world hunger is the world's greatest problem. If everybody could be nourished appropriately, wouldn't that be fair? What, what about war? Wouldn't somebody say that? You got Russia and Ukraine. If we could just solve war, wouldn't that be humanity's greatest problem? That's not humanity's greatest problem. I'm convinced humanity's greatest problem is God's wrath. That's a big problem. That's a big problem, isn't it? Well, we don't like to talk about that. I know it's really uncomfortable, but it's right here in the center of the text. It's unavoidable. There's a day coming, and Paul describes it as a day of sudden destruction, and then later in our text, he says this word, wrath. Wrath. You see, the greatest problem humanity has isn't a problem right here and now, but it's that a holy God who made us has a day coming of judgment for people who have rebelled against him in sin. That's a problem worth solving for all of eternity. It's a big problem. And a lot will change on that day. But praise be to God, there's hope, so hang on. God has done something to solve this problem of sin and his judgment. But the day's coming. A day of the Lord is coming. It's a day of judgment, and, and we don't like talking about judgment very much unless we're talking about judging other people, and then we love it, <laughs> don't we? I mean, it's the reason Judge Judy is doing very well, she lives in a large mansion because she's the queen of daytime television. And all she does is judge people and all we do is watch. We're just eating it up. You're watching two people get judged. And you enjoy it because you like sitting in that seat going, uh-huh, she did it. Mm-mm, she's lying. Judgment. You, you actually love judgment. It's the reason, I mean, I've experienced this. I remember being on I-70 when a guy went about 100 miles an, hour, um, miles an hour around my minivan, just right around us. We got kids in the car, and you're like, oh, the injustice, and then, and then, a quarter mile later, blue and red lights, and my whole family is cheering, yeah, you got him, we're passing him, we're like, that serves you right, justice. Justice, we love it. But I don't like justice if I ever get pulled over. You see, we have this love-hate relationship with, with justice, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we love that we serve a God who actually is just and will deal with evil and sin. He won't sweep it under the rug. And he does so in judgment, and it's coming. A lot can change in a day. And this text calls it the day of the Lord. So let's ask a few questions of this text. If this day is coming and a lot can change, how can we be ready for it? How can we be ready for the day of the Lord? Four questions. One, what is the day of the Lord? Two, how can we be ready for that day, and who will be ready? 
Three, how should we live before that day? And finally, four, how will we live after that day? Let's explore this together. Open your Bibles and make sure you're following along in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, let's start in verse one. What is the day of the Lord? Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The day of the Lord, that phrase that you see in this text, is a common phrase throughout scripture. It's a rich concept. I wish we had a lot of time to explore it, but it's all over the Bible. You see it most commonly in the Old Testament in the book of the prophets and prophecy. The day of the Lord was a common term for the Hebrew people that anticipated a day in which God would bring judgment on the oppressing nations that were persecuting them. In fact, it was common in that culture in that day to be excited about the day of the Lord. It was a a positive idea until a prophet named Amos came along and he flipped this day on its head. As most of the Hebrew people were looking forward to the day which these other nations would be judged, the prophet says this in Amos 5, 18. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Can you hear them just longing for justice like me on I-70? Oh, I hope some cop will come by and get that guy. Yeah, I want the day of the Lord. I want justice. And then suddenly he flips it. He says, woe to you who desire it. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. You see, the prophet was saying, God's coming not just to judge the other nations, but Israel, you've wandered and you're walking in sin and a holy God is coming to judge you as well. Turn in repentance. He says later in that same chapter, that this day will be a day like justice rolling down like mighty waters. The Old Testament concept is repeated over and over again by the prophets and it continues even into the New Testament. In the New Testament, when this phrase comes up, it's almost always looking forward to a future day that I'll say this, here's a quick definition, a future day that will be sudden but also not only sudden, but inevitable, inevitable. This is a future day of judgment that's sudden and inevitable. Paul gives two metaphors here. He's gonna have lots of metaphors. He loves mixing metaphors. It makes preaching really simple and easy. So uh, he starts with this first metaphor. He says, this day is gonna come like a thief in a night. That's sudden. And last time I checked, thieves do not give a warning that they are coming with the exact time in which they are going to break into your your home. Hey, could I stop by uh, 6 p.m. or so? Swing by, steal your TV? It's not what a thief does. He comes under the cover of night and he comes unexpectedly while you're sleeping. This day will come suddenly, but it will surely come as surely as a pregnant woman will eventually go into labor. That's the other metaphor he 
he picks. So Paul, we're, wow, mixed metaphor. We're going thieves and we're going labor, all in one description. But they both work, doesn't it? I remember when my wife was pregnant several times, and I could tell you a couple of things. I could tell you this baby will come. I'm confident of that. But if you asked me when exactly this baby was coming, I could not tell you. All I know is this baby is coming. And they always did. It's, see, it's sudden, but it's also inevitable. It's unpredictable as far as the exact timing. Nobody's going to win that. But it's coming. The day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord, and it is a day when God comes to judge, to judge the earth. This is a big problem. If an all-powerful, perfectly holy God is coming to judge his creation, that's a problem, isn't it? Create some tension a little bit. And the Thessalonians wanted to try to solve this problem and their solution to the problem, listen to it, it's implied in verse one. Their solution was to figure out the exact timing of this day. If I know when the thief is coming, then I can go to King Supers and do my groceries today, but I'll be ready on that day. I just need to know exactly when it's happening. In fact, that's what the Thessalonians wanted to know. So having this correspondence with Paul, remember when we're reading a letter, we're reading one half of a pen pal, and we've got to fill in the other half. It's implied in verse one, and that's why Paul says this. Now concerning the times and seasons, that Greek phrase includes both times, like the exact date, a specific date, and seasons, the quality of that time. He says, concerning that, I know you've been asking me about times and seasons regarding the day of the Lord. You have no need to have anything written to you. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message, he says, quit being preoccupied about the exact timing here. He says, remember what I already told you. It's gonna happen like a thief in the night. You won't know the exact timing. This, this was a common thing that people wanted to know. It was their solution to the problem. How will we be ready for the day of the Lord? Well, if I just know when, then I'll be ready on that day. Don't you remember? This is actually the very last question the resurrected Jesus was asked before he ascended. The last question. It's recorded in Luke. Look at it. Jesus is with his disciples in Luke's Second half of Luke, Acts 1, 6, 8. Okay, the follow through. Jesus is resurrected. He's with his disciples. In 1, 6 through 8, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, last question, Jesus. One more. Can I squeeze one more in? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Timing. Hey, is this happening right now? And Jesus replies, it is not for you to know, listen to this phrase, it's in 1 Thessalonians, times or seasons, same phrase in our text. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But then he shifts them to what they should be paying attention to. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria 
and the end of the earth. Busy yourself with that. Focus on that. Be my witnesses here and far to the neighbors and the nations. Focus the mission on that, not yours to know. The times, the seasons. Paul's repeating this emphasis here in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, don't busy yourself with that. I've already taught you what you need to know. It will come suddenly, but it will come this day of judgment. A lot can change. A lot can change in a day. Why would Paul say, I don't need to write about the timing? Why would he say that? He doesn't relieve them. They want to know. If I just knew the day, I think implied is this reason. If you don't know when the thief is coming, but you're awake, then you're always ready. You're always ready. Doesn't matter what time he comes. You're just ready. And this is the pattern that the prophets use and also Jesus and then here Paul, he's saying it's coming, it's imminent, it's soon, but I'm not giving you the date because I want you to be ready always. When should you be ready? Now. Be ready now. If I'm sitting on my front porch all night, it doesn't matter when the thief comes, I'm ready. Will you be ready? A lot can change in a day. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? It's interesting that Paul had a different solution to the problem. How to be ready for the day. The Thessalonians wanted to know when, and, and Paul takes an interesting turn. If I were Paul, I would talk about how to be ready. This is how you want to sit on your front porch waiting for the thief. This is how to be ready. But he doesn't start there. He doesn't ask the question how. He answers the question who. Who? See this in scripture. This is marvelous and encouraging. Look at the next section. It starts in verse four. It says, concerning these times and seasons, I don't have to write to you, this is how it's gonna happen. Thief in the night, labor pains, they will not escape. Verse four, but you, are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief? And then he answers, who you are, not what to do. For you are, this is who you are, not what to do. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Isn't that interesting? He's gonna get to what to do. He's gonna get specific. He's gonna give you some tips on how to prepare, but he doesn't start there. Paul's solution to the problem, how can we be ready, is to remind them of their identity. First, this is who you are. Let me start here, Christian. This is who you are. So then, this is how you behave. Notice what he says, that you're children of the light and of the day. This is a Hebrew idiom. It was common in that, that age. If you said to somebody, oh, uh, you are a son of strength, it was an idiom. It was a way of saying, 
you're strong, dude. You're really strong. <laughs> and if you said you're a child of the light, you're describing what characterizes that person. To be a children of light is to be someone who walks in the day and not in the darkness spiritually. We're helped also by Paul. Here's another good cross-reference. What does it mean to be a, a child of darkness versus a child of light? Look at Ephesians 4, and I've got it on the screen for you. Ephesians 4, 18. The context, Paul is speaking about Gentiles or unbelievers, and he says this. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So what does it mean to walk in darkness? There's, some, there's something spiritually they don't know. There's spiritual unknowing. But there's more. In verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So someone who's a child of darkness is both spiritually in the dark in their mind, they're not aware of spiritual things, and they are morally in the dark. They practice sinfulness and sensuality and greed. That's a child of darkness. So then, a child of light is different. They're both spiritually in the day, aware, alert. They know the day is coming, and they are morally in the light. They're walking in Christ's commands. This is the analogy that Paul gives. And he's reminding the Thessalonians first who they are before he tells them what to do. Why would he start there? That's such a strange turn. That caught me in my study. Why go there, Paul? The reason is because what you do is based on who you are. What you do is based on who you are. Paul begins with your identity in Christ. Look, Christians, this day is not a day to fear. Remember who you are in Christ. You're children of the light. Let me remind you of that before I tell you how to be ready for that day. First, what is the day of the Lord? Second, who are you as you prepare for that day? And then finally, Paul turns to how we should live before that day. How should we live before the day of the Lord? Look at verse six with me. Paul's gonna give a defensive plan and he's gonna give an offensive plan. Verse six. So then, that's a because of who you are, Implication, this is how you should behave. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put it on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And then I'm gonna skip down to verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul now, that he has firmly reminded them of their identity is gonna give them some instruction on what to do, how to prepare for that day. He's got offense and he's got defense, just like the Broncos. Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that lands right now. It's not looking good. 
You need both to win a football game and you need both to prepare for the day of the Lord, offense and defense. Paul gives three new analogies for defense. He says, in a contrast, you need to be awake, not asleep. You need to be sober, not drunk. And you need to be dressed, not, not dressed. <laughs> All three. Did you see them as I was reading? Because you're children of the light, because this is who you are, behave in a way that's fitting of being of the light. People during the day are awake, generally. People during the day, generally, are sober. And people during the day are generally not in their pajamas. They're dressed. He says, this is who you are, so act like it. Act like who you are. It's not fitting for you to do the opposite. Uh, imagine this, it's almost like he's describing a war zone. Can you picture it? I mean, you've seen images from Ukraine and Russia, it's terrible, but picture a war zone. But imagine this, in a war zone, you see a man at 10.30 in the morning, stumbling out, drunk, wearing a bathrobe into battle. It's not a fitting image. Everyone goes, that doesn't fit. That's not who you are. You're a soldier in war and you're wearing a bathrobe and you threw down too many. This is not who you are. Paul says, no, no, no. The image is in this war zone, you need to be awake, sober and alert like a soldier standing guard wearing the breastplate and the helmet because you're in a war. This is who you are. You're a child of the day, so act like it. Be awake, sober, and dressed. This is the picture that Paul gives. It's the, the defense for being ready for the day of the Lord. Are you walking in the day, Christian? Are you walking in who Christ has told you you are? You're stumbling around in your PJs. This is defense, it's how we prepare, but he also gives offense because some of us fall asleep sometimes. And so he reminds us in verse 11, he says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Notice that the armor is defensive, the breastplate and the helmet, but encouragement in building is active. It's offensive. And it's one of the reasons why you're gathered here today because sometimes Christians fall asleep. They start sleepwalking through life. And they need to be encouraged. One of the ways how do we encourage one another comes in Hebrews 10, 24. The author of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's a specific day, not just any day, that day. A lot can change in a day. How can we be ready? Part of it is what's happening right here. I'm thankful you're here and whether you're online as well. 
because we're encouraging one another. We're searching to build one another up. You're here together watching and waiting for the guy next to you who's fallen asleep and you just give him a nudge, bump him. Hey, we're dressed, we're alert today. Come on, come on. Somebody next to you has been sleeping through life, sleepwalking like a zombie. And there's little notifications every once in a while. Sometimes Netflix will even tell you, are you still watching while you're binge watching? That's a sign. You might be sleepwalking through life. It's saying, wake up. There's reality here. Wake up. And we do that by encouraging one another as we gather. Are you living in the light of that day? Do you feel dressed appropriately, prepared for the day of the Lord? And who around you might need a bump of encouragement to come out of their sleepwalking and be sober and awake for the day? Paul says one particular piece of armor that's interesting to me. He says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. And I want to ask today, how can you have that hope? Can you honestly say you can put on that helmet every morning? Do you have hope of salvation? What gives you the right to put on that kind of armor? God's wrath is the the greatest problem humanity will ever face. But praise be to God, he's provided the solution. Comes right here in this text. Verse nine. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Isn't it stunning that the same judge who's returning, victorious king to judge the earth, is the same God who already came to die the judgment you deserve? Isn't that good news? The wrath of God was a problem too big for humanity to solve. It's way too big. We can't even fix cancer. Is anybody frustrated about that? Somebody smart should figure out cancer. I'm tired of prayer requests about cancer. And we can't figure that out. How are we gonna figure out the wrath of God and our holiness and our sin? This is a problem I can't get rid of. But praise be to God. The same God who judges is the same God who received the judgment we deserve. Christ died in our place so that you could walk as the children of the day and the light and no longer walking in darkness. This is the gospel right in the center of our text. It's the hope that we have for the day of the Lord. And it brings us to the sweetest part of our text. And that's the question how will we live after that day? How will we live? A lot can change in a day. 
A lot can change in a day. And that day is coming. Really is. Soon. It's coming. The day of the Lord. And everything will change. What will it be like on that day? Paul gives us a a glimpse of the glory and the hope that we have in Christ. He says this, because of our Lord Jesus Christ who died in our place, whether we are awake or asleep, he means here whether you have already passed away and you're resting in peace in the grave or whether you're alive on that day when Christ returns. Either way, all of those in Christ will have this. We might live together with him. That's a wonderful solution to a great problem. Those in Christ on that day will be reunited with the one who died in their place, living for eternity with our great savior and victorious judge. This is the hope that we have. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.